I'm really pleased and excited to welcome Tim Kinberg to The Word. Now, I wasn't quite sure how to introduce Tim because at first I, I knew him as an author of a really exciting book that we are going to talk about in a second. But then you do your little Google search and then you find that actually he goes beyond just being an author. You're a computer technologist. You're the founder and creator of social video platforms like Vorb. And you've got decades of experience in building novel platforms. Is this what <laughs> I should be introducing you as? Well, I mean, I am kind of both things. I've always been very technical. I mean, maths was my thing when I grew up. I got into computers a long, 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 long time ago. And I've stayed that way since, really. But always, always, I've loved the written word and the spoken word. So I've always had that. But it's been a bit more of a corner in my life than the other stuff, the technical stuff. I guess I've, you know, I've been able to earn a living from technical stuff. And of course, earning a living from writing is is much easier said than done. So I suppose I've just been earning my living, but I've kept up with the written word in the meantime. And Well, the interesting yeah. thing, Tim, well, what you might find interesting is you're the third author I've interviewed in a week. And the other two authors that I've spoken to are signed with Penguin Books. They've just had some great success and they both said that actually to achieve the success they needed to do they had to yeah. give up their day jobs caleb nelson who's this incredible young author used to work in the apple mac shop on regent street and and judith bryan was um, a social worker and they both said it got to that point that they realized they had to take that gamble and that time out and immerse themselves into nothing but dreaming eating sleeping <sighs> writing but of course what a gamble what a gamble in- well, it is interesting. I mean, I dare say there's still time for me to do that, I suppose, and to become just, you know, just a writer, only write. But I just take a long time to write stuff because I write in the early mornings and I don't write for that long right. in the early mornings. And I write into my exercise books. And if you just keep doing that, it's amazing, actually, if you keep doing that. I mean, it does take a long time, but eventually you filled these exercise books and you've suddenly got something that's a bit like a book. Edson Burton introduced us and you're a Bristol author, basically, who's recently self-published a book called The Vampires of Avonmouth. It sounds scary, is it? <laughs> it's kind of, it is scary to an extent, but it's not. It's, it's nothing like a horror story. Does one get scared reading Frankenstein? Probably not really scared her. not as bit... an adult but just bearing no. in mind we are at four o'clock in the afternoonish sort of time that you know <laughs> children oh, well, that's might. a good point that's a good point <laughs> so this you're right so this book is aimed firmly at adults i have to say but it's not principally a horror book it i mean i call it gothic science fiction so it's got vampires can you just for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about just explain a little bit about your book Yes, exactly. So we're set in the future, it's set in 2087, which happens to be 100 years after my son was born. That's why I chose that oh, year. Oh, wow. It's a, a very, very different world. We've had the climate emergency has unfolded for quite a few decades. But the other thing that's happened is that technology has advanced to the extent that we don't have mobile phones anymore because our brains are connected directly to the internet. that means that means that I can kind of conjure a thought and then send it to someone who's my friend on the internet so we can communicate telepathically over the internet to a certain extent artificial intelligence has certainly been rolled out a great deal I'm a very big skeptic about artificial intelligence in general actually for real but I've allowed in my in this future world I've 
there are, there are robots all over the place and they're driven by artificial intelligences. And there's a detective, all crime, by the way, in the future um, is ID crime. You know how we have ID theft nowadays. Yes. People are so kind of numbed by all this telepathic communication that's going on. They don't really have the mental energy to commit any other kind of crime. <laughs> the only thing that happens is um, ID crime. And into this world, it's set between the West Country and West Africa, by the way. I have a detective, David, who solves ID crimes. And he has exiled himself from his daughter back in West Africa. And the reason he's exiled himself is that criminals have implanted a vampire spirit in his brain. And this vampire spirit is kind of imprisoned in his brain However, if he is anywhere near anybody he loves, it starts to come out of its cage inside mm. his brain. And these vampire spirits consume other people's minds. So I should say that the vampires in my book are not the kind that bite you and take your blood. These ones mentally extract your mental energy to the extent that they can, they can consume your entire mind. Wow. So, and how I'm, does that help them? What does that does that increase their powers? What, what does it do to them? Just like a classic vampire can only survive by drinking blood, these vampires oh. can only survive on mental energy. So I that's see. how they survive. Right. Yes, indeed. I'm enthralled already. Yes. So we're in Avonmouth now. It's a bit strange that we're in. Avon. I live in Bristol, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But um, someone told me about someone else having written a story about a vampire coming to Avonmouth. And I thought that that idea stuck in my head. And I looked for this story all over the place, like you do. I think it was supposed to be the basis for a film. I looked, I looked everywhere for this story and I could never find it. So I thought I would write that story and make it happen. So anyway, I thought I'd have a vampire come from West Africa to Avonmouth, where David has exiled himself to. And, well, I don't want to give too much of the book away, actually, but this vampire is after somebody, and David has to protect that somebody. And his problem, as I've identified, is that he has to be careful. He can't really feel anything, because if he feels something for somebody, his vampire buried inside his brain starts to get out of its cage. And he knows He this. knows this. He knows wow. this because this vampire makes its presence known right. more or less continuously through his life. Oh, my God. Yes. It is pretty nightmarish. Yeah. It's really exciting, though. I'm just like <laughs> loads of questions. I'm enthralled already and I want to know more. Do you know what I mean? It, it's a great basis for a story. What are the links that you have with Africa? Well, I happen to be married to someone from Kenya, actually. But oh. um, this part of Africa that we're talking about, I went to, before I knew her, really, I went to Ghana on a personal trip. And I went into the National Museum in Accra in Ghana. And I discovered Adinkra symbols for the very first time, which are a kind of classical symbol from people of Ghana is to some extent Cote d'Ivoire as well, actually. But they're a symbol. Um, the history of the Dinka symbols is quite interesting, actually. If you dig into it, there isn't a very consistent picture of it. But there was a people called the Akan people. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. And they printed these symbols on cloths and on paper. And they're really extraordinary symbols that have very extraordinary meanings. And that, too, stuck in my brain 
And there are Jinkra symbols all through my book. And in fact, one of the characters is called Penpamsi, which is the name of an Ajinkra symbol. And that particular symbol means that which cannot be crushed, which kind of gives you an idea of, of her role in the story. Although actually she's a very vulnerable character in the story, but she does not get crushed. The um, Ajinkra symbols, how far back into sort of history time do they go? Well, I've seen 19th century origins, but I've also seen some, if you look around on the web, as I say, it's not things, it's not exactly consistent, but it looks like they may have come from before that. And of course, we went in and disturbed all these things, but obviously Africa has this tremendous cultural and history of civilization. And the Dinkra symbols are one of the few things that have, apart from obviously the sculpture and visual art as well, but they're one of the few things that have kind of spread around the world subtly. So once you've seen Adinkra symbols, you realise they're in quite a few different places. They're even in physics, actually, nowadays. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of West African... Of course, there's, a, there's an amazing history of spirits from West Africa. I mean, voodoo, as we know it in the Caribbean, comes from the spirits that were in the belief systems of people in West Africa, who, of course, were enslaved and taken to the Caribbean. And the vampires in my book are called Vodus, which is an ancient term for West African spirits. Wow. This sounds like there's been a lot of thought, research, and maybe even time gone into it. Can I ask how long it's taken you to write? It's actually taken me... I think it's taken me about seven years to write. Yeah. You'll have got a sense that it's a pretty complicated world that, that I've got here. So just keeping that in your head, it takes a lot of energy. So you mentioned yeah. that the book's self-published. So is it actually available now if someone's listening and they think, oh, I'd love to take a read? It absolutely is. It's available for ebook readers. It's available as an ebook and it's available in print. If you search for Vampires of Avonmouth, you'll come up with my, I've got a page on my website about it, which sort of links to these things, but you can definitely get it from Amazon and you can get it from Smashwords is another kind of indie author place. There are a few other places on the web you can get it as well in print. So a couple of things I picked up on them was your sort of concern, maybe, or, or you're slightly dubious about AI technology. Why is that? I'm completely sceptical about it um, from several points. Yeah, so I, I have a series of, I give a, well, when we're not locked down, I give talks. There are a series of talks called Four Skeptics. So it's kind of the opposite of Four Dummies. You know how Four Dummies, you know, yeah. the Four Dummies series of books where we're supposed to just swallow technology and as much, or technology is always good and we're supposed to just take in as much as we possibly can. So I'm critical of AI in two respects. One is what it's capable of is massively overblown. It's not capable of nearly as much as people like to think it is. It's really kind of bumblebee levels of intelligence, actually. That's one thing. But the other thing is that it's being deployed in very dodgy ways, I think a lot of us have heard about the bias that's often built into AI, you know, that it, that it um, treats people differently. And the thing is, it's for business, you know, it's a cheaper way of doing things than hiring people often. So they'll use it anyway, even though it's flawed. And I think it's very important that we resist that, that we resist, we resist its use in any scenario where people, decisions that affect people's lives are made find that very interesting and if you could just explain a little bit more what you mean by the bias yeah so ai artificial obviously that stands for artificial intelligence which i would claim doesn't exist 
there's no, nothing remotely intelligent about, about this software. But there is something called machine learning, which does exist. And the way that works is you train it on data. I, I should say it's very good at some things, like approximate translations, recognizing what's in an image. It's often very good at those things. So it's, I'm not saying it's completely dumb and no use. It's, that's not true, but it's not intelligent. So the way machine learning works is you expose it to large amounts of data and you sort of train it, like you say, this picture has got a picture of an orange in it. That picture hasn't. This picture has got a picture of an orange in it. This one, other one hasn't. And you keep giving it hundreds of thousands or millions of images. And you say, these ones have got an orange in it. Those ones haven't got an orange in it. And eventually, to some degree of accuracy, it will be able to by itself tell you this new image, which it's never seen before, has an orange in it, you know, a piece of fruit in it. And that's the way it works. The trouble is that's okay if you like recognizing whether a given image, why a given image has, a, has an orange in it or not, but it'll get it right a lot of the time. One of the interesting things is that it'll get it very wrong in ways that a human would never get wrong. It's very easily fooled by things being not quite the way it was in the training data. But the other thing is if you give it a data set that has an inbuilt bias, and there are a lot of examples that are well documented. For example, ethnicity and criminal records. Yeah. And so the data that we have about a person's ethnicity in relation to their past and potential future criminal behavior has demonstrably been biased in some cases because our systems are biased. You know, there's a lot of racism in the world and that gets kind of reified, if you like, in, in the data we hold. And so there's a real danger that people will make predictions about how someone's going to behave in a way that's biased yeah. against certain people, whether it's on the basis of ethnicity, gender, employment history, financial history. And these biases aren't things that are, that are kind of obvious in the data. They only become manifest, if you like, when we try and use them in these ways. So it's a very subtle question. Like I say, I believe that we should regulate its use in all cases where that affect people's lives, you know, like declining credit or not putting you forward for an interview, those kinds of things you know, that affect us in really important ways. Absolutely. And uh, mm. last year I met a woman who was putting on a conference, I think it was anthropology and technology conference, and they were very much discussing this kind of bias and how dangerous it can be and how important it is that at this point in time we are aware of it and very much try and change that so we don't continue a whole nother generation of bias within our programmers, basically. So, yeah, no, it's very yes, interesting exactly, to hear you exactly, talk about yeah. that. In my book, what I sort of portray a world in which even though the degree of intelligence of these programs is actually very limited, it's being deployed all over the place anyway, because that's the kind of logic of technology. It takes over, you know, even though we realise it's got these flaws. It's a bit like we're, we're stuck in this social media world at the moment, which, you yeah. know, no one really predicted exactly how it's going. Now, suddenly social media is having an effect on our, our very democracy. We never understood that about technology. It's just a piece of technology, but all technology is political, right? It's, it's always embedded in our lives in certain ways that affect people differently. 
It is really interesting because, you know, when people think about AI and AI technology taking over and they have this kind of wild illusion of fantasy illusion of robots coming to life and taking over the world, which obviously is from what you're saying as well, never going to happen. They're never going to have that kind of intelligence. And actually the dumbness of them is probably more dangerous. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. And in fact, you know, there are robots. In fact, one of the what turns out to be quite a critical character in my book is is a robot, actually. I do kind of, I do portray, even though it's, I mean, the technology in the book is, there's no way it would really exist in 28-7, but it's still interesting to posit it, sort of think about the consequences of it. And this robot is a bit dumb and robots generally are <laughs> dumb, but this robot turns out to have certain qualities that robots generally don't have. And that's quite important in the story, actually. Oh, and what do you mean? What kind of qualities? Like it's you, a bit you, hard to say without giving away. Uh, but, but it, well, one of them is a kind of loyalty. I'll put it that way. Okay, okay. Does, interesting. Yes, which obviously is a, you know, it's a human characteristic which robots would never normally have at that time. No, but of this one not. turns out to have a certain loyalty to David, the main character, and that's that's instrumental in the way the story develops. So. And speaking of loyal characters, there's a dog. There is a dog because, of course, vampires are afraid of dogs. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yes, vampires don't like dogs. So the dog is called Coleridge, which, of course, is a reference. to. There are various references to local references, um, and that's one of them, because, of course, Coleridge is the Coleridge way, not far from us. So it's a really fascinating story. I haven't read it all. I will definitely be reading it now. Uh, you've literally enthralled me. <laughs> I think it's really exciting. Do you think there'll be another one? Either another novel or a a sequel or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know about a sequel to this. Possibly. I have actually written two other novels. If you look at the figures, I mean, of course, there are some geniuses out there who just write their very first book and it gets to be number one. But for the rest of us, you tend to have to write several books before you have any real success with one. And I have actually, there is one out there for a young adult crossover book called Shadows of Marrakesh that is out there it is available to your listeners to buy if they (laughs) they ever really wanted to and I've also written a book for kids actually as well which I haven't even attempted to publish in the meantime which I'm going to work on after I finish getting this one out the door properly 